That's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Miller, lovely cushion header for The Ghost Goal Podcast. Manchester City and Chelsea suffered amazing shock losses in midweek, while Liverpool and Man United slipped up at home. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Decided to actually get together this time on the pod and record. Uh, we're doing a special edition Transfer Deadline Day podcast. Some Couple. of us got some treats, some of us didn't. Yes, we've got some new toys to play with right at the end. We've already talked about a couple of those, but we'll get to the uh, brand new breaking news announcements from today and talk about uh, some of the business. Then we'll jump into the previews for this weekend. There's a enticing Manchester City-Arsenal matchup to talk about and a couple of underrated relegation and mid-table uh, clashes to discuss. But like I said, let's jump into the transfers first. Javier, Arsenal... Was it announced today or was it yesterday that it was finalized? Arsenal. It was finalized today, but like it was announced yesterday. Like, yeah, everyone knew. Barcelona it. announced it yesterday. So, Denis Suarez from Barcelona, a 26-year-old midfielder, 25, 25, has transferred to Arsenal on a loan until uh, the end of the season with a 25 million option to buy. Now, the main question I have about this transfer, uh, which you can kind of take in two phases, one like the immediate and one like the future, is how does Dennis Suarez fit into this Arsenal team right now, and where do you see him fitting in and, and he replacing? He just turned 25 in, uh, in January. Yeah, it's a, it's a good so time to buy. Yeah, he's, a, he's still a relatively young player. Around the same age you bought Alexis Sanchez, I want to say? Uh, Maybe when he was 26 or yeah, 27? Yeah, around the same age. Um, and, yeah, no, I mean, he's right in his prime, basically just a like-for-like replacement for Ramsey, which is an attacking midfielder. Um, I haven't watched too much of him. I mean, he did play at Barcelona. And when I've seen him at Barcelona, I thought he looked good. You know, I thought he looked like a good player. I mean, just the fact that he's played in that team for a, a few years. Never consistently. Of, which never consistently. But just that's like, why he's moving. But it's exciting to me that, like, he was able to play in that team and just was around players like Messi, Suarez, you know, Neymar, all these players, played with them and, you know, learned from them. And, and now, you know, kind of a step down, obviously, going to Arsenal. But, you know, maybe that can be a, a, a step up for him in his career, like, a, you know, a place where he can, you know, grow and mature. So yeah. I think it's a good, exciting prospect for him. I think he kind of, he said a goodbye to all his teammates. So it's kind of like Kovacic where I'm pretty sure he just expects that he, this is his new club, you know? So I'm, I'm, yeah, I hope he works out. Uh, 25 you know, million is a, is a pretty good bargain. Oh, that's a, yeah, like that's he comes in playing super well. I'm absolutely. sure there's add-ons, but the, the one thing I wanted to say about this transfer is that, uh, it's a really interesting market for uh, a lot of the Premier League, the top Premier League clubs to get into. This kind of like, there's no really better way to put it, but like the rejects of like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, getting their rejects, players that were promising when they first signed, but never were able to quite force their way into the club for, uh, or into the first team for whatever reason. So they go elsewhere looking for obviously good money, which you can get in the Premier League and a chance to play and maybe get Champions League football. Now, for every Alexis Sanchez that you get from Barcelona for Arsenal, there's going to be an Angel Di Maria, like when he signed for uh, Man United after playing for Real Madrid and winning the Champions League for them. 
it's it's not always going to work out perfectly, but I think in terms of uh, safe bargains or safe bets, there's a lot more bigger risks that you can take uh, than Dennis Suarez. He's proved to be able to play, if not at uh, Barcelona, where was he before? He went, he was sold to Villarreal or Valencia or Sevilla. He was at yeah, Sevilla. He was at uh, and they yeah. bought him back. They had a buyback option that they brought him back for like three or four million. And uh, now they're capitalizing and getting like a nice chunky change for him from uh, Arsenal. But let's move on to the big money signing of the day. Sorry, but this was an actual transfer, not a loan. Uh, Miguel Almiron, who many of you will be familiar from, from his uh, league title winning season at Atlanta United this past year, uh, is moving to Newcastle. Moved to Newcastle today on a permanent transfer for, I want to say, $20 million. I kind of did that off the top of my head from what I've been looking at. Yeah, it was $20, $21 million, something like that. Yeah, there, there were rumors of him being linked to you guys last summer, also Newcastle last summer, but it, it didn't look like Newcastle were going to be willing to fork over the cash for him. We didn't want to pay what they were asking for. And... Now, that is a risk. <laughs> like, Dennis Suarez, is, it's better that you got him right. than... No offense to Miguel Amaron. I'm a big fan of his. I really liked watching Atlanta, and he was like the creative hub in that team and made them tick. But it, moving from the he just MLS, so out of place in MLS. Like yeah. how many, like how many players have made that leap? I'm guessing some of the American players, like Landon Donovan, was able to make it pretty uh, easily for that half season at Everton. Uh, Tim Howard came over when at some point he had a rough uh, start at Man United before he really got acclimated to the league. He's 24, so I think that. As a young player, and he's been playing in Paraguay before this past season. Yeah, I think that's 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 pretty good. I mean, I think thirteen goals and eleven assists in thirty-seven matches in MLS. I mean, that isn't like crazy numbers either, though, right? It's more about like his effect on their team. And he's Newcastle, just a creative player. Yeah. What what player at Newcastle would you say like replicates what he can do? There isn't really one. I guess it's Matt Ritchie, sort of. Yeah, but he's more of a wide player. Yeah. Like Richie and Kennedy, or like they're all of their creativity is coming from wide areas. Now, like Almiron can drift out those wide areas, but he's better in the center as either like a second striker, like where Iosi Perez is playing right now, or like deeper in midfield, sort but of he conducting only, things. He, he was only one season on um, oh, Atlanta. Two yeah. seasons, two seasons on Atlanta. But yeah, no, that's, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it could be a good signing for them. I think that they're going to stay up. And I think that they're yeah I think they're good enough to stay up. So I think that this signing will like push them over the edge. And I think you know you got to give Rafa some money here. And then Mike Ashley did it. So yeah. also on the side they also got uh, oh god forgetting his name Antonio Barreca the center back from Monaco uh, young Italian player I believe uh, they got him on loan today for the rest of the season. So that's the two players that Rafa wanted this window. And obviously they just got the huge win at home against Manchester City. They're Things are looking up for Newcastle. Uh, they, they can maybe make some distance between themselves and the and, and the relegation spots. Uh, but let's move on to the next of the transfer deadline day moves. Mishi Bakshuai, literally 20 minutes before we sat down to record this podcast, finalized a loan move from Chelsea to Crystal Palace for the remainder of the season. I have no other information other than that. I don't know if there's an option to buy or anything like that. I Just, just for the rest of the season, Mishi will... There's no way it's an option to buy. I'm guessing it's just like, we need a striker. You guys were like, all right, you want Mishi for a little while? <laughs> like, yeah. All right, thanks, guys. Mishi had been on loan at Valencia, couldn't get his way into the team, and when he did, he's he doesn't really have enough about him, like other than the poaching and the goals, uh, to really make a coach like Marcelino happy. He, he wants like Rodrigo and Gamero, those players who are going to be obviously hunting in the box for goals, but dropping deep and helping with build-up and helping defensively. You're not getting that with Mishi. Mishi's he's a pure target man. You have to feed him, and... I like the move for Crystal Palace. He's better than anyone else that they have at center forward right now. Like his competition is Connor Wickham, Sorloth, 
and Benteke, who right. he could end up being another Benteke. He's kind of already started that with uh, the the start to his season at Valencia, uh, but he's only 25, and he's another player who's like coming right into like the thick of when you would want him to be playing the most at his athletic and and uh, potential prime. He's played enough games. Played some games even backing up uh, Romelu Lukaku for the Belgium squad and usually scores when he comes off the bench. He's going to be a weapon for Palace, and goals are what they need. That's that's a really, really good signing for them. The last two signings we'll talk about in tandem because uh, they pretty much happened in tan- tandem. Uh, no, it was a swap deal. It was a swap deal, but loans. I think they have options to buy at the end of the season. Ah, okay. But like, they were both loans. Uh, Monaco and Leicester City basically traded Yuri Tillemans, uh, goes to Leicester, and uh, Adrian Silva is going from Leicester to Monaco after a season, basically a full season at Leicester that started last January when he didn't get his paperwork in in time during the summer window and had to wait until the January to register and just couldn't play. He's never really gotten himself in the team. Like the pace of the Premier League seems like a bit too fast for him. Like he doesn't have enough time on the ball to play that Yeah, he gets dispossessed a lot. Yeah, and the strength on the ball, yeah, is an issue. So moving to France, like it, it seems like Jardim just straight up doesn't like Yuri Tillemans and like played him the first half of the season and got himself fired, and now he's come back to replace Henri, which is a whole other podcast. Uh, he just sort of made it pretty clear in this window: get rid of Tillemans, get me someone else who can play that position. So he's got Cesc, he's got Adrian Silva now. Monaco's an interesting team, and yeah, for, they have Henri locked in the basement somewhere of uh, some cellar. They're, they're paying him at least, probably. I'm guessing. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of this deal for Leicester City? Because you were someone that yeah, when I, I was criticizing Tillemans early in the season, I remember you sitting up and saying, "Like, no, that's not him. That's, yeah, that's no. teammates around him." I think good. I think he'll be good at Leicester City. I think that's a great signing for them, and I think he's much better than someone like Adrian Silva. He's a young player, and. You know, he's, he's an FM dream. Everyone knows that, you know, he's got great potential in, in fantasy and in FIFA. And, you know, you, you think that he's going to be one of those players that's still going to be really good in the future. He just has such great vision. And, you know, he's he's such an intelligent player for someone his age that I just think with the right coaching, you know, he could become a, a, a really good player. So I don't know. I don't think Cloud Powell is going to be the, the guy maybe that unlocks him, but he could show enough at Leicester to maybe get a move somewhere uh, somewhere better. So Yeah, Monaco was supposed to be that move for him. When he moved from Anderlecht and was playing Champions League pretty much every season with Anderlecht and was 18 or 17, I think he scored in uh, the Champions League when he was 16 for Anderlecht. And everyone, like, we've known about him for so long. Right. That we're just kind of like waiting for that Expecting season him to and just break when, out at some when point, he moved yeah. to Monaco to sort of like replace Xiaomatinho and Fabinho and be part of that next generation after the golden generation that won the league and got to the Champions League semifinals everyone was just kind of like oh well all these other young players have uh sort of realized their potential here like now it's time for Tielemans and he just the last season and a half since he's been there it just hasn't really happened for him and obviously Monaco yeah. have had a dismal season to show for it so um, but look, Kate Kate I, Kate I don't think it's going to work right away, there. though. Kate Balaudia went to Monaco, didn't work out, but now he's there's been... a long list of young players that they signed recently that didn't work out. <laughs> and now look, I mean, he's playing well in Inter, and Inter want to sign him. So I think it's kind of a lesson that you know maybe there's something wrong there at Monaco. Maybe something's wrong. You can't just get rid of your entire team, buy a whole new team, and and expect things to, to mean, seamlessly go seamlessly. You know, I mean, being 19th is pretty much the biggest uh, proof of that. Yeah. But there are other transfers uh, that happened today on deadline day. But we'll move on to our previews from there. Let's start Saturday morning, 7.30 a.m. 
Tottenham will host Newcastle. Tottenham are coming off a frustrating for me as a Chelsea fan, but an impressive uh, comeback <sighs> win against How Watford. How do they keep doing it? They can't keep getting away with it. They just don't <laughs> lose to these to, to teams outside of the top six, do they? Yeah, I mean that they, they, their first and loss it's not this they season. It's not that they just don't lose. They don't tr- tie them either. They beat them well, every yeah, single time. Only team left in the league with zero draws. I, I thought for sure they would tie this one. I was like, okay, Son got the goal, and I was like, all right, one one, couple points dropped, and then they get the winner, Llorente with the header. Like, come on, like that just came out of nowhere. I, I think I oh. think that's the turnaround moment for Llorente because oh yeah, he the, the Chelsea game uh, in the League Cup. Uh, and earlier in the Watford game, he missed a bunch of chances. He like the the Watford game. There were like two in the second half with them trailing one nil that like were absolute sitters. He should have scored them. Was, to come back and score the winner. I don't know. I just think that's just the Harry Kane sized monkey off of his back. He'll feel he'll feel like confident now. Also, the two goals that he scored for them, uh, the one in the League Cup against Chelsea and the the winner this uh, past midweek, both from. Very well driven in Danny Rose crosses. One to like the front post, one to the back post, and he scored both of his goals with his Danny head. Danny Rose sneaky, uh, sneaky fantasy option. Yeah, okay, we can get into Tottenham's fullbacks another time. I guarantee <laughs> you that like Ben Davis will be back playing. Start, right, start he'll the be doing the exact same thing that Danny Rose is doing. But uh, yeah, those are his two goals. You you, you get a sense that they're just going to try and feed that since this is what they're going to be dealing with for the next like month or so until Kane's back. Uh, and the little tippy-tappy stuff that they do with Ericsson and, and Son that they're both so excellent at, Lorente is like, he's like almost there. Like he's good enough in build-up, like Giroud, where he can sort of carry on the move, but he can never quite finish it off with his feet. Like he's like, you got to go look at some of the misses. <laughs> yeah, they were so bad. But as soon as it's on his head, he's fine. So I don't know. I just I, I assume Tottenham are, uh, are more well-adjusted to playing that way, even against a Newcastle team that we have yet to discuss, really, just went and beat Manchester City at home. I think Newcastle going down to Wembley uh, in this game, I, I think Tottenham just sort of uh, make, not easy work of them, but they I think they win it 1-0. Yeah, I, I also think it's going to be kind of easy for them. I think that they've proven that they just don't really have trouble with these teams, or if they have trouble, you know, it's it's usually away from home. And they've been pretty comfortable at home. So I'm going to say 2-0. Um, it might be 2-1 like what Andrew has. Andrew has 2-1. But I also, yeah, I just I, I think I think that they're going to be more comfortable with this team without Harry Kane than they were last week. I think this was kind of like their, you know, their testing phase of, of playing this. And Son's not going to be as tired as he was last week. So I, I think it's going to be... Uh, a pretty easy win for them. Let's move on to the 10 a.m. games. Starting with Brighton, they will host Watford. Both teams coming off a loss, uh, disappointing losses. Both teams had the lead. Brighton had were two 0 up at Fulham, yeah, ended up losing four two. That was a pretty bad capitulation. I mean, that was Fulham backed into a corner completely. They're at home. They're down two nil. Two Great early goals. Great from that to come back there. Yeah, I mean, they, they had to. They were relegated otherwise. Uh, and then Watford obviously had the lead against Tottenham uh, from a Craig Cathcart header. How do you see this one going? These two teams are pretty even. They're both like you know not anywhere close to relegation, but they're not going to push for Europe either. So we both we both sat there for like a good five to ten minutes looking at this was looking at this fixture, being like, "What's going to what's going to happen?" Like, I have no indication. It's like how both teams are going to yeah, bounce I mean, if back. If you look from at the result, games. I mean, uh, Andrew has Watford winning two one. Alex has 
Brighton winning 2-1, and I have a 1-1 draw. So I, we're all over the place. I'll give you the it light reasoning. It could be reasoning. any of those three results. The light and, reasoning, real quick, for Brighton is that in these games where they're pretty like fairly like matched, at home they usually end up winning them, I feel like. Yeah, they usually More do. often than not. Yes. But yeah, let's move on to the next of the 10 a.m. games. Burnley will host Southampton. Andrew has a 1-1 draw. I've got a 2-1 win for Burnley. And Javier, what do you have? I also have a 1-1 draw. This could this one could also be the nil nil. Ooh. Are you you gonna flip on that? I'm flipping. <laughs> Javier flip God. No, no, no. Let's go. No, no. All right. Yeah, because I gotta pick one nil nil every week, and this one's the nil nil. Why just one? Why or why can't you go for a couple? We'll just, yeah. yeah. There's a Cardiff Bournemouth game and a no, okay. Uh, let's move on to the Chelsea game. Chelsea will be hosting Huddersfield Saturday at 10 a.m. at Stamford Bridge. I don't really want to talk about how this game's going to go as much as the horror that was Wednesday night, losing 4-0. So I'll get the uh, the predictions out of the way just myself. Andrew has Chelsea winning 1-0. I've got 2-0, and Javier's got 3-0. So all of us see a clean sheet for Chelsea where... Yeah, Huddersfield no... relegated. They they gave up. So yeah, I don't really sure. see this going any other way. Uh, all I'll say they'll is make that... the game hard in the first half, and then they'll give up in the second half and capitulate. So it's it's Huddersfield's got a pattern now. But yeah, let's talk about the four nil. Let's talk about that, Alex. The worst loss that I've seen uh, in a long, long time. I mean, there are others that hurt more because like we've lost like three nil at Arsenal in the season that we won the league, and because it's Arsenal. Like that was that was really tough. Bournemouth made us look bad, man. That we only beat you two two nil. Yeah, they beat you four nil. Like we're pathetic, man. <laughs> we should we should have, we should have thrashed you five or six nil. So I mean, what, 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 what I, I think it's important to make the distinction that like yes, this was a horrible loss. It's the first time Chelsea have lost by uh, four goals since uh, or in twenty three years since we lost five one at Liverpool back in the mid nineties. Uh, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Even lost it, it's been a long time. Like I was, I was four or five years old and don't remember that game at all and have no recollection of it. Uh, so obviously a, a huge shock. It was only four nil uh, in like the ninety fifth minute, but still a it's four pretty nil, flattering for Bournemouth. A, a four nil. They only had six shots on target. So well, because they scored all four goals in the second half, we completely capitulated, completely fell apart. We were controlling the game uh, as you would expect with possession in the first half. weren't overly dominant in terms of like the quality of chances created. Only really created like two solid to like half chances, uh, and for the rest of the time, it was more of just sort of like us trying to not give it away. You to guys them were on the dreadful counter. in the second half. You created well, nothing. That, that's what we're going to talk about. It's the the entire second half. Early on, we go down one nil from like, admittedly, like a, a well worked goal from Bournemouth, and there were there were. Uh, flashes of that in the first half where you, you think like they, they've countered well in the first half, like maybe they could take advantage of it and boy did they in the second half. But then the goal that really like started the uh, the, the complete fall, the falling apart was David Luiz for the second goal. Passing the ball straight to Brooks, telegraphing his pass to Jorginho. Brooks, whose job it is to cover Jorginho, just cuts it out, plays a one-two with King, sells David Luiz, puts him on his ass and puts it bottom corner. Like, there's nothing else to say, but like that that can't be that can't be done at midfield when you're the last defender back. You can't misplace that pass. Hoof it up the field if you have to. You can't misplace that pass. And something that I think hasn't been talked about enough was actually brought to my attention by NFL player JJ Watt, who is also a Chelsea fan. He was commenting on the fact how early on in the game, like midway, I guess, first half, David Luiz took an absolute rip 
of a shot to the face and was down for about five minutes, let the physios come on, definitely was concussed. And there's no concussion protocol in, in the Premier League. You pretty much hit your head. If you're able to get up, they ask you, like, are you okay? And you say yes or no, and then you continue on. And David Luiz is 32, 33. He, he's one of those guys who probably just thinks, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. And he proceeded to have one of the worst games in a Chelsea shirt that I have ever seen from him. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> the Tottenham game, ones, yeah. the Tottenham game... He's he's he goes either end of the spectrum like from game day from game to game. He can have the best game and and right. be the best player on the field against Manchester City, then have an absolute stinker against Tottenham or Arsenal and evidently Bournemouth. I just think the lack of concussion protocol maybe maybe screwed us there. Maybe it's better if Christensen comes on. Okay. David Luiz. All right. Alternate theory better. time. Reality check time. The, the, that's that's not what happened. What happened? Well, no, was, no, of course the whole team played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened? I, I'm, was, I'm bringing up. I'm bringing up listen, an alternate theory. That me, was me. I actually theory. watched the game. You were in your office, I uh, had, dude. I had to. I had to go home that night and watch it, knowing the score. Knowing the score. Oh, that's like, brutal. I watched yeah. it at the time, but I was getting up and going over to my desk and doing things. And right. I'd come back and be like, one nil, two nil, three. Right. Oh my god, four. <laughs> What's happened? Right. So I made. A, I, I do a podcast. I have to know what happened. So I had to go home and watch it. Oh, and that's dreadful. Yeah. Knowing what was coming, and yeah. it was it was awful. But what did you think? But okay, so I really thought that in this game it was most evident. Where it's been in other games of the season that Ingolo Conte needs to be played further back. And that Jorginho does not belong in that position. I know we've argued about this many, many times. But I have two examples in that game where N'Golo Kante should have done different things. The first was that goal that you were just commenting on. Where if N'Golo Kante had been in the position that Jorginho was, N'Golo Kante would have gotten back and covered Brooks for that goal. Maybe. You saw, you would have yeah, had a better on. chance. You would have a better chance. There was, there was plenty of time to get back in that buildup. That buildup wasn't like incredibly fast buildup play. That like you had a bunch of def- Chelsea defenders in the box. It was just there was I think it was Kovacic. It was, it was two passes. It was, it one was, of them was deflected K- by Dan Kovacic Luis. and Jorginho were like the closest like midfielders slash defenders to Brooks, and they should have been Rudiger. the one following the run. Rudiger was close to King and went I, out. I, to I meant midfielders. The defenders obviously okay. they were the defenders were in front of Brooks, right? They were they were following King and they were trying to to stop King. But I'm saying if N'Golo Kante had been in that position. I can almost guarantee he would have snuffed out that 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 play. And there were there were a bunch of Bournemouth attacks, and, and it's this has been a constant thing for Chelsea throughout the season of teams now being able to cut the ball back into the box and Chelsea just having a gap in that box where Ingol Conte used to just take those balls out, sniff them out, take that, and he still does it sometimes. It's not like he doesn't do that anymore. He just doesn't do it nearly as much, and now it's a lot more. You see Jorginho trying to do it. And a lot of times Jorginho fails or Jorginho is one step behind the play and Chelsea end up conceding. The other example I have is when it was when you guys were 1-0 down, uh, Mateo Kovacic plays a beautiful ball. Oh, no, I think it was a Spilicueta, actually. Spilicueta no, played, I think it was Kovacic oh, maybe it was, it was Kovacic. from that area. He played a beautiful ball over the top to N'Golo Kante. And N'Golo Kante makes a great run. He's one-on-run with the keeper. And his first the, touch. The ball goes. lands on his feet and the he, the – the ball like ricochets off his foot and the keeper just picks it his up. His first touch failed him. And, but, you and, know, I and, can point, and, and I can point to a bunch of other times this season. Not Crystal a bunch. Palace. Not a bunch. He's Where he perfectly cushioned okay, it and okay, finished. Okay, and he's, and he's, okay, because he's a professional footballer. He's done it a few times. He can do it probably four out of ten times 
maybe maybe in like in, in that type of in that type of pressure situation. But you need your players, your your attacking uh, you know midfielder or strikers to be scoring that you know seven out of eight, eight out of ten times. Sorry, seven out of ten or eight out of ten times. And I think that it's a problem that he's the one getting the chances. Every single game, N'Golo Conte gets one or two chances, and he almost always misses them. He only has two goals this season, or three. He's got, like, four in all competitions. Okay, I'm saying in the league. And he he hasn't, I mean, he has a few assists, but you really need, I think, switch it up. I don't like Jorginho there. I know that you guys brought him in for that, but I think that him being the last man is just far too dangerous for you guys. I think it's it's like having Jordan Henderson be your last man. I think Jordan Henderson has more energy. He's stronger and better defensive-minded than Jorginho. And I don't like Jordan Henderson. But being in that last man position, he plays like Jordan Henderson. And he doesn't do a lot of the defensive well, I mean, shielding that, that Henderson right offers. Up, right off the bat, Henderson's way more familiar with the league. Came up at Sunderland definitely. Like 10 Jorginho years could ago. definitely improve. His entire footballing like uh, yeah. teaching has been from has been in England. Yes. Where Jorginho is 26, played his whole life in Italy. Not even as the role he's currently playing. This is year four of him playing as a deep line playmaker. You know, he's still learning this position. And he was able to bounce back when teams would do this to him in Italy. Like, you don't think teams would adjust and press Jorginho and try to do the same things that you're seeing now in the Premier League? I just, uh, in Italy, him and Sarri just, were able you to don't work see around giant, giant, because, like center backs and strikers and okay. all these, all these huge bulky players and midfielders that try and rough you up and tackle you. And, and Jorginho can't handle it. And he's like a Morata where like, well, that's not, it, been, it what, feels that's not like, been what's stifled Jorginho. It's been good. It feels atta- like it's now good, it's starting to stifle It's been him. good attacking midfielders in key positions like Deli Ali, David Brooks in this uh, yeah, Bournemouth just, game. Just, just swift-footed Aaron wingers. Ramsey, Aaron right. Ramsey. They did a good job and they were well coached and prepared to deal with Jorginho. Now it's up to Sarri and Jorginho to deal with that. But I love Jorginho. I have a place in my heart. Reserved just for him. I know you love Ever yeah. since he was at Napoli, it was like a dream when him and uh, Sari were brought to Chelsea uh, to have one of my favorite teams in Europe basically be picked up and implemented at my favorite club. It was a dream. I'm not, I, I haven't given up on Sarismo. I haven't given up on Jorginho. There is, for every action, I'm not saying you there should. is, there I is a think, reaction. Right, I just think you guys need to change things. I just don't think See, that. See, Jorginho, he's never leaving that spot. That's not going to happen. Then you're never going to win anything. The team around him. You're never going to win the anything. The team yet. around him needs to improve, get better, and build up. Get better with no, those third men. No, if he's your last man defending, you are no, not going to thing. win anything. Here's the thing: you're not going to win the Europa League. I, I, you're not going to win the league. This. I've parroted You're not going to win the FA Cup. You're not winning anything. You're not going to win anything this season. No, we're not if winning. He's, anything if this. he's your last we're guy, not winning if anything he's during Golo Conte, but we're going to improve. We're going to improve in this system. It just it blows my mind. That Ingola was the best player in that position in the world. In he's that still, position, in Jorginho's no, position. No, 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 no. They're playing different. They play different positions. He still shields also, the back line. The That's still his time. job. Here's the thing. Like, right off the bat, Javier, the only time Ingolo Kante has ever played as a pure defensive midfielder, where he's like shielded the defense from like a low block, has been for France when they won the World Cup, where you'd see they would just constantly have a back three. It, it helped having Umtiti and Varane to either side of him. Whereas when France attacked, it would just be a back three looking to deal with counterattacks. And those three could just snuff out any counterattack. It right. wasn't fair. So uh, and you're not even factoring in like the amount of good pressers they had further, further up the field to sort of force mistakes. At Leicester, Danny Drinkwater was the deep-lying like defensive midfielder. Golo Kante was asked to go press high up the field with Vardy and Mahrez and 
and Albrighton and all of their other attacking players. The same thing he's doing at Chelsea now. He was just much more, it, it was a team that was much more used to playing without the ball. So it was a different role in that regard. He's now in a team, and I think he's good enough and deserves the uh, the responsibility of playing in a possession team and being able to replicate the same pressing and defensive qualities that he has in those rare moments that we don't have the ball. I've said this before, and I'll, I'll end with this. For this to work, Jorginho like, has to have players around him making runs off the ball, and just simply that wasn't. That wasn't happening. There has to be possession happening with Jorginho involved, where somewhere either on like the opposite side of the field in a switch or coming from like a disguised area, there has to be a third player making a run in behind. That's just not happening enough. They're not playing you think that's too Surismo. They're not playing Surismo. No, because they're not they're not doing it. They're doing something else. They're trying to like take players on 1v1 and trying to I mean, but I'm not, play these I mean, long looping I mean, passes from Cerismo? Dada Luis. What is Surismo? Does that work? I just explained it. doesn't it. win anything. Yeah, it just it worked for it's the last won, two it's years. It's never won anything. That's fine. It was at Napoli. Now we're taking it to Chelsea. We're going to buy better Great. players. So he didn't him, win the Italian We're going to give him Pulisic. He's just, he's, I mean, okay, great. Like, he, it, clearly. I don't know like, if you've noticed, but there's a pretty good team in Italy that has, like, double the resources of anyone else. So, uh, you know, it's, it, I don't know. it would have been very impressive if he'd won the league. I'm, that I'm still not convinced. We've already gone still, way over on the Chelsea segment. Oh, let's we have, I'm uh, sure, let's jump to the uh, next of the 10 a.m. games. Real quick, Crystal Palace hosting Fulham. Andrew's got a 2 1 win for Crystal Palace. I've got a 3 2 win. Javier, what do you have? 1 uh, 1. Okay. Real quick, Everton Wolves. I would like to talk about this one more, but it's, it's it's. I may have this on the second screen while watching the uh, Chelsea Huddersfield game. But Everton will host Wolves Saturday at ten a.m. Andrew's got a two-one win for Wolves. I've got a two-two draw. And how do you see this one going? Yeah, I wanted to say the Wolves win too, but Everton have been really good at home, and yeah, I, I got one-one. I think it's going to be a draw, but I think it's going to be a fun one. I think it's going to be a close game. Okay, Saturday at 12.30, Cardiff City will host Bournemouth. Bournemouth, of course, uh, we didn't get to talk about them uh, in that Chelsea game, but I think they played their game plan perfectly. They didn't even need Callum Wilson to put four past us. Yeah, it's crazy they did Josh that King that and David Brooks were Brooks enough. was amazing. I hope that I mean, guy, King I hope was amazing okay. too. Yeah, I hope he's okay because I think he limped off hurt around oh, really? the 65th minute. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I, I hope he's okay. But he's another one of my boys up here. Yeah, no, he's and he's 21. Yeah, unbelievable talent. They paid the next Aaron ten Ramsey. million for him. He's a, he's a better Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> I mean, he's playing like Aaron Ramsey when he when Aaron Ramsey was young. Six goals and four assists in the league this season at twenty one years old in his first season That's after saying, coming up from like Sheffield Ramsey. United. I mean, Aaron Ramsey was doing that at sixteen. Yeah, so calm true. down. That's but true. Aaron Ramsey was yeah. super super fresh when he uh, when he yeah, came in. He was. Uh, did we give our picks for this? No, we didn't. Let's go uh, with Andrew's three one Bournemouth pick. I've got. 2-1 Bournemouth and uh, Javier. 1-1. One, one. Uh, let's jump to Sunday. To start us off on Sunday, oh God, these are two great games. Leicester City hosting Man United Sunday morning, 9.05 a.m. What a specific time to start a game. Andrew's got a 1-1 one, one draw. I've got a 2-2 two, two draw. And Javier, why 2-1? You you don't think Leicester are able to summon up the same uh, laser focus that they uh, no, had think, against Liverpool? I think, they could have uh, won that game. I'm still, they could have won that game. I know they could have won it. I know, but I'm still, I'm still. They could have lost too. I'm the still penalty. on the Oligander Solshire train. Yeah. I know that they just drew. Do, do you think Solshire realizes two, two, he can't play Lukaku but, uh, the center forward yes, anymore? And I absolutely loved the way that he, what obviously what he said afterward and the way he reacted when the the second goal went in for United. Just the the cold face, 
just not celebrating whatsoever when it was 2-2, just saying, this is fucking garbage. I don't but, accept this. But at the same time, he was like acceptably positive in the post-game press conferences where they said what, – what, where he was saying it was a great comeback. It was great that we came back from 2-0 down and from – Frankly, but not you know, you know, well. he was pissed that like, but like he played it off he, like, but United shouldn't be tying two two with Burnley at home. Like it was good that we came back, but that wasn't a good result, right? And which I'm is sure, the right, and you know that like, in way to his play mind, he because he, he Mourinho the, would have been raging. He set, he set the record for for like most wins coming in as a manager in the league. He was probably like, oh, it's not going to end against Burnley. Like, Did he, he probably, actually? Yeah, I think so. I believe so. Looks, no, I thought, I thought like Mourinho or. I think Somewhere. he broke. I think or he Pat, didn't Pat tie. had like ten before he lost. We'll have to dive into that a bit more. But yeah, he's had a really good record, like coming into the, coming into. Maybe, maybe it's like interim manager. Maybe it's like in the middle of the season. He still hasn't lost, mind you. They were down two. They, they said it during the game. They said like he 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 set the record for. It, maybe it's manager. Maybe it's interim manager. Like the first time, like a manager's come in in the middle of a season and won eight straight games. But yeah, it helps I mean, coming into like an interim job and it being Man United it, it does, <laughs> with it those does. players. Also, Paul Pogba with that penalty has like ten goals in the league now after being a bench player for basically the whole first half of the season. Which makes you wonder. Also, I was I was I was be- looking at United's results and like they haven't had like they had that one really bad three 0 result against Tottenham at the beginning of the season. But like under Mourinho, they weren't like that bad either. They had a bunch of draws. But like they had some decent results, they had they some lost good wins, and like, and then losing three one at Liverpool is like that's yeah, it was you not can't great. Do that but it's just yeah, no, I mean, but but I think this United team, I, I think that they're kind of reaching that level that we thought they were going to last year, like where we said we were where we were saying at the at the in the preseason saying oh they're gonna you know they're gonna push for for that title they're gonna you know they're gonna be really good. This is going to be Mourinho's, you know, hurrah third year. I think we're seeing the fruits of the labor of Mourinho's third year, but I think Solskjaer is the one bringing it out. So I think the players are well defensively drilled. Mourinho has put that in them, but I think that Solskjaer just freed them up offensively, and they still hear Mourinho's, I'm sure, you know, voices in their heads. But, but, but to, but they, to their but detriment they, on yeah. that in that Burnley game where Rashford was started out on the left wing where he played yeah. a lot for uh for, for Mourinho. Mourinho. Lukaku was center forward. I think Mata was a right and wing. And he missed uh he missed a sitter in like the tenth minute. And also Rashford, he was like you can see it's just sort of like drilled into him. He, he's just used to tracking back and like Right. Like, which is like it's, I don't want to say you should never track back, but Rashford's been tearing it up playing as, as center, center forward. forward. He shouldn't be doing exactly he should be he should be there at center forward. Like where, it's pretty clear now that you're you're not gonna be able to score I will say, Lukaku is still an excellent weapon on the counter, as we saw in the Arsenal game, in the he, FA Cup. He was, but he's, he's very good on the wing, team. and he's good on the wing. That's where he played in well, the Arsenal game. because he has all this space, like, They played Rashford the in the middle, and they played he was still, uh, Lukaku he was still on the right wing. Right, though. but they played him on the wing. He was tracking back, and... They played uh, Lingard at center forward, and they played, uh, Mart- not Martial, uh, Alexis, Alexis on the left. Yes. But, and Rashford and Martial were off the bench. Right, right. Uh, and then they came in and destroyed us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we didn't get to talk about that one. <laughs> we didn't need to mention that. We didn't need to mention it. It's not enough time. But an interesting announcement that was made today amid all the transfer news was Anthony Martial uh, signed a new deal with United for uh, five years. So uh, certainly a good player to get wrapped up. But Leicester City coming off that uh, Liverpool draw at Anfield, it's it, it's an impressive result uh, to go and get. That's why I have them drawing 2-2. I, you know, I, I saw enough... Chinks in the armor from United defensively to think if, if Burnley can get it United at Old Trafford with the way they've been playing, 
uh, that I'm pretty sure Lester will be able to too. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely fair. I just I also think Lester defensively have been quite suspect, and they got quite lucky to get away with only one goal at Liverpool. And I don't, I I, I have still faith in this United side. I think that they're going to keep up this good form, and yeah, that's why I have them winning this. Let's keep it moving to the big game of the weekend. Sunday, 11.30 a.m., Arsenal will travel up to the Etihad to face Manchester City. Surprisingly, City are the team that's uh, sort of reeling at the minute. Arsenal are coming off uh, two wins in a row that have seen them go from six points behind Chelsea for fourth place to replacing Chelsea in fourth place. We're in fourth! You you, you can thank Bournemouth. Back in our... You hold can, on. You can back, thank Charlie home. Daniels and the, goal, and, and the goal difference wars. We're home, boys. That. We're back. We're back where we're supposed to be. In that fourth spot. Wenger is sitting at home on his just couch. Smirking. Just smirking. Like, just, ah, ah, fourth. fourth my favorite place to yes. be. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is obviously a difficult one. If Arsenal want to stay in that uh, fourth place spot, they're currently level on points with Chelsea. Yeah, we only need to go and beat Manchester City. Level on goal difference with us. Yeah, it's uh, goal only, scored. It's only from goal scored. It's pretty great. We have an identical record, identical goals difference. But here's the thing. You guys have scored 10 more goals than us. You have 50, we have 40 or something like that. But we've conceded 10 goals fewer than you guys right 10 like so we're, it's really frustrating i mean i and, understand and, why goals and that's is why next, like, and that's breaker. why i think that arsenal are going to finish above chelsea well not that tiebreaker like that's no, tie because not, not no it's be because of finishes. the goal scored obviously you guys got Iguain to try and change that but i think we had a way better goal difference than you up until like a couple weeks ago. We had like because it's, it's catching up to you now. Well, yeah. Well, because our defensive the record second half of the season, teams are like, "Oh, team. huh, that Chelsea team with Eden Hazard up front. Maybe we can solve that problem." You know, maybe, maybe, and that's why you guys picked up Big Wayne. We'll see if things change now in these next few weeks. But yeah, this, I mean, this this City game. Um, I have City winning three two. I think that it's going to be really hard for Arsenal to get anything with the way that our backline's looking right now. We're riddled with injuries. Um, Badian's out for the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, Koscielny, uh, they're saying his jaw might have been broken from that tackle. Socrates. Um, Socrates is I'm, out I'm changing for, my pick, actually. I completely forgot for, about uh, all the defensive Socrates injuries you guys had. for three weeks. So it's probably going to be like a Monreal Mustafi uh, back line again, which Monreal didn't do too bad against Cardiff, but he also just looked uncomfortable as well, which I don't blame him, you know, He's going to have another week in practice, though, this week. So, Monreal Mustafi, not a great center back pairing. Not who you want. Uh, Kolasinic, maybe uh, Licksteiner or Ainsley might Niles. I mean, I hope Mike Niles is back. But, yeah, our, our back line is, is, uh, is not, not looking good. And our midfield, you know, everyone's, everyone seems to be. I, I, Emery played El Neni last week, and it just did not work. He had to bring him off in like the 44. Six minute played a, very a midfield four of Elneny, Guendouzi, Torreira, and Ozil at the top right. of the time. No Xhaka. Yeah. I, I don't know what he was doing. You can't play that against Man City. No, you can't. We're not. And again, like, I think Emery tried some things out against Cardiff. Try, tried think, to go to Xhaka. Bad Xhaka. Now sit on the bench. I don't Jack. think we're going to see Ozil. I don't think we're going to see. We're definitely yeah. not going to see Elneny. And it's going to be like Iwobi, Lacazette. Ramsey. Aubameyang. Yeah, Aubameyang, Laka. Yes. And I think if we play that lineup, we have a chance. I think it's going to be close. I, guess. I think it's going to be 3-2. I think, I think we're going to score at least once or twice on them. Like you said, I think I think it's going to be Arsenal scoring goals and conceding goals. And Okay. So, so the issue I have with Arsenal in big games 
is that when you guys don't get your press right, you kind of look easy to score on. Like the two games in the top against the top six that you that you won convincingly this year, the Tottenham home game and the Chelsea home game, you guys absolutely won in like the midfield, just pressing for the ball high up the field and making it difficult to ever sort of come into your half and come into your space. I don't see you going to the Etihad and doing that. I thought it might be possible off the counterattack, but I completely forgot how many defenders you're missing. Like it seemed like everyone was back and now they're all injured again. Like you guys just can't catch a break there. Right. So I've got three one city. I, yeah. City City losing to Newcastle, like we talk about that for half a second. That's a huge upset. I think maybe not in terms of humiliation, but in terms of surprise factor, losing 2-1 at Newcastle for Man City was about as surprising as us losing 4-0 at Bournemouth. Yeah, I mean, that was probably maybe even more surprising. I mean, I just don't think anyone thought that was possible right now in this title race. And yeah, I don't know. I think we were, we were all rooting for for City to win, and somehow they lost. That I don't. I don't know. Well, not everyone on this podcast. Oh but. well, maybe uh, maybe uh, almost everybody. Yeah, yeah. Just 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 you Liverpool fans out there. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to Liverpool in a second because uh, obviously they slipped up on the chance to make it seven points. It, it was interesting that he didn't start Bernardo Silva, and it seemed like he regretted that because he brought him on pretty quickly in the second half for De Bruyne. Um, and I, I don't know yeah. if he regretted it because they took the lead within 28 seconds or something like that. Yeah, it was kind of a weird goal, though. It wasn't like right, like Newcastle hadn't gotten fully. Yeah, like, it was kind of like a little bit of a fluke. Yeah. So it just it, it didn't feel like City were just not at it in that game, and, and they had their almost their strongest lineup. Yeah, that was and crazy. They had the their, only the only I thought they that, were going to destroy Newcastle with that lineup. Well, the only player that wasn't like you would say their best at that position was uh, Danilo playing left back, and Danilo yeah. Danilo is basically the lone reason why Newcastle won that penalty because he played the ball back to Danilo Fernandinho was when Fernandinho had like two players bearing down on him in his own box, and Danilo played. Uh, uh, Fernandinho had two players bearing down on him, and Danilo passed it to him, right, basically right into pressure, and Fernandinho commits the foul that gives the penalty to Newcastle, and they win it. So, I mean, Mendy is supposedly back in training. Uh, Delph has been injured for a while. They need to find, like, just... This would be a great time to have someone like James Milner, who they used to have. I feel like Mendy's going to be back for this Arsenal game. You guys are definitely losing. (laughs) Mendy's back. (laughs) We're just going to get ransacked, man. Maitland-Niles watching uh, Leroy Sané and Mendy play with each other. Just destroy them. Yeah, no, I'm not not looking forward to it. Um, The one thing that we do have going for us is, I think, Leno... Matches up well against City, at least better than Czech, who we I had. Know. I think you want a player like Czech for this game, like an excellent shot stopper. No, no, I, I was going to say, like, Leno's actually a better shot stopper and, and has better. So? Just, a lot, like, and his distribution is really important against someone like Manchester City. We really missed that in the first game when we played against them in that first game of the season when we lost 2-0. Czech started in that game. I just don't know if you guys and, are going to be doing that much, and, like, and build they, up from deep, do you think? That, that, that's how Arsenal, that's how we play now. We build up from the back and like, and and, and we, I mean we can we can play on the counter when we build from the back. I mean this this team. You guys is like, are usually better when you're a bit more direct. Where like you get the ball back, maybe play like two passes deep, and then one player once they have a bit more like space to breathe plays a ball, not like not a hoof ball, but they play like a well driven ball to a wide area to get like Lacazette sure. or Bamiang or like Iwobi in behind, and then then you try and get it center. Like that's how you counter attack. But that, that's just how like. When it worked, it worked really well against Tottenham in the home game. It's just like whether you guys can replicate it away against one of the best teams in Europe, never mind the league. It'll be really interesting to watch. Andrew has a 2-1 Manchester City win. And just to recap, I had 3-1 Man City and 
Javier had 3-2. Let's jump to the last game of the weekend. West Ham hosting Liverpool Monday night, 8 p.m. in England, 3 p.m. here in the States. Andrew's got a 2-0 win for Liverpool. Doesn't seem too worried about it. I've got a 2-1 win for Liverpool. Javier, how do you see this one going? Yeah, I also think it's going to be a pretty easy win for Liverpool. They don't usually struggle with West Ham. Uh, we were talking about it before the pod, but yeah, they're... They, they usually spank West Ham pretty good, so I'm going to say 3-1. I wanted to go for that, but I want to talk really quickly just about this Leicester result and maybe a little bit about like the Crystal Palace win they had right before that. Liverpool had been off for 10 days with no games since that Crystal Palace win at Anfield. Obviously, there were League Cup games taking place and FA Cup games taking place. They've been knocked out of both competitions. They're fully focused in on Premier League now. I heard a really interesting theory the other day about how the sort of like pressure and anticipation of Liverpool finally breaking this almost 30-year spell of not winning a league. The theory is that with that building up, all of these home games that Liverpool have are as much of there's a really positive energy that Liverpool like dig there's into. There's a nervous vibe. Where like in the big games in like the Champions League, the crowd sort of propels them and pushes them forward and gives them this belief to go and destroy teams like Roma and Man City at home in the Champions League. But as they're like zeroing in on winning the league, that same energy is kind of like it, in the same quantity or same amount. It's going the opposite way in terms of nerves, where you can like they go behind against Palace once, yeah, once, and then Palace equal uh, leveled it, like a second time when Liverpool eventually went ahead. That game and then this Leicester game where they drew one one, probably should have won uh, with the uh, Keita penalty that wasn't given. Probably should have ended up winning it like two one, but still drop points. I'm starting. I'm starting to get worried for them. That, Allison like, did make say, a couple good saves there. There was like one, like um, I think it was like, it was like a, basically a clearance off the line from his own defender. Um, that was like a really nice reaction save from him. And and Leicester had one or two chances, and and especially in the second half, they created more than you would expect from a team that had only like twenty eight percent of the ball, something like that. And Liverpool didn't create as much as you would have expected. They they were pretty good in the first half. In those first like the first like twenty minutes, they just had a flurry that Liverpool flurry where they just you know peppered that Leicester goal. But they kind of they kind of fell off after that. And you felt like it, it kind of felt like Klopp played all of his cards to start, right? And that they just kind of ran out of gas. Yeah, because for the last ten minutes, when Liverpool should have been like pushing, they weren't trying really, to win. Yeah, they were. It just kind of felt like both teams were sort of like, okay, we'll take the draw. This has been a tough game. I'm just sitting there like Liverpool have the chance to make it seven points with 14 games to go. It's still like five and four. There's no real difference between that. Like City obviously lost. That's a big deal. But Liverpool drawing kind of makes it less of a big deal. Yeah. I'll Liverpool still have to go way, to Man United in about two or three weeks. Way, way, way. And they have to go worse to Everton. If Liverpool win there. I mean, and they have to host Chelsea and Tottenham. At that point. Yeah. You're telling me two or three of those games they could draw when City are winning. Definitely. Yeah, it's yeah, it's mean, all to play for, is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Like you can make up the Man City loss uh to be like this big deal, but Liverpool drawing this game against Leicester keeps City right Also, in. Champions League coming up, I mean that's that's gonna be a factor. I, I think they're looking forward to Champions League. Like the chance to sort of get their focus off of the pressure of every game in the Premier League and sort of just go for it like they maybe, usually do in the maybe, Champions but League. But if they get caught off guard by Bayern, they uh they won't be enjoying it as much. So so West Ham have been pretty bad defensively. Uh, I think it's they've pretty, kind of fallen off these last couple games. They had, they had the injury to Balbuena, who was forming a really good partnership with Jop. Jop is still playing well, but 
It's not really the same. It's a struggle at West Ham. I, uh, the Arnautovic thing, I think, derailed them somewhat for, for a little bit where not everyone's... And now he's hurt focus like, on pretty them. badly. Yeah. Looks so like he's out for a couple months. So. Yeah. I mean, like and like you said, when we, were first talk- when we first started talking about this game, Liverpool don't really have any trouble with West Ham. So uh, once again, Andrew has uh, 2-0 Liverpool. I've got 2-1 Liverpool. And Javier has 3-1. But that's going to be a really interesting game assuming that Man City beat Arsenal the day before. Uh, real quick, the rankings or standings for our little uh, mini Pickums table that we have is Andrew's in first. Uh, he got plus one this week with his correct pick of Arsenal 2-1 over Cardiff. Javier, you're in second with 12 points. You got a point this week with your correct pick of Tottenham 2-1 over Watford. And uh, I'm sitting in third on 11 points, so it's still tight. I'm happy about that. Yeah, we need to play for it. Still, uh, we've all had our, our our top of the table moments. Alex was there at the beginning Early of the season. On, yeah. I was midway through the season. And we were just Andrews, tied two weeks ago. All three yeah. of us were tied. Andrew's, Andrew's pulled, gone. Andrew pulled ahead now. It's uh, it's getting interesting. I mean, look up and see if Andrew only does well in the pickums when he's not on the pod. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's overthinking. Getting him back on. <laughs> Well, I'm sure with the Super Bowl coming up this weekend, hopefully he'll be back uh, pretty soon. But that about wraps it up for us here at the Ghost Cult Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy the games this weekend. Make sure to follow us on social media. My Twitter and Instagram is at ASMOS92. Javier's on Instagram at JavierRev9. You can follow Andrew at Andrew Passaro on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, at Ghost Cult Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Go subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help boost our visibility and help uh, new people find the show. So uh, we could always do with some new listeners and really appreciate anything you guys could do to help with that. And until next time, see you.